Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be having a discussion with one of the foremost intellectuals on the culture wars in the world. Now, that might sound like a bit of an exaggeration, but Dr. Gabriel Kuby, who is a German author, an international speaker, and an expert, especially on the topic of the gender revolution, is somebody that everybody should be familiar with if they want to grasp what's truly taking place across the Western world today. She has actually been called out by no less than Pope Benedict, who called her a brave warrior against the ideologies that ultimately result in the destruction of man. I actually just want to briefly take a look at her pedigree with you, because her pedigree alone is impressive. She is actually the niece of Werner Heisenberg, and the reason some of you might recognize that name is because Heisenberg, of course, was one of the key pioneers of quantum mechanics. She's also uh, the niece of E.F. Schumacher, the famous German statistician and economist who I'm aware of because he has a lot of traditionalist leanings, and his work on small economies was quoted a lot by Rod Dreher in books like Crunchy Cons uh, and the Benedict Option books that some of you might be familiar with. So just to give you a bit of Kuby's background, she was born in 1944 in Constance and has a master's degree in sociology. She worked for 20 years as a translator and an interpreter, and she has published 12 books. Now, the reason that I'm having her on is not because she's written 12 books. The reason I'm having her on is to discuss the one seminal book that she has written that anybody who wants to understand what's going on across Western civilization should be familiar with. And that's her 2015 book, The Global Sexual Revolution, Destruction of Freedom in the Name of Freedom. She is one of the foremost European opponents of the sexual revolution, and she lays out so incredibly clearly what's going on. She explains how this is the elites trying to impose their agenda from the top down, and because of her work, And because she's such a prominent figure in Germany, uh, she has been condemned. There's been a play that was performed about her in a prominent German city. She's been referred to as a Nazi, which, as you can imagine, inside Germany is probably the worst insult that you can have leveled at you. And certainly an insult that has a lot more resonance there than it would, you know, in places like Canada or the United States. But yet she plugs on because she recognizes that it's so essential that we recognize what's taking place because the global sexual revolution is, in fact, as the title of her book says, systematically destroying freedom, destroying the family, and then, of course, destroying the foundation of human happiness. So without further introduction from myself, I want to present this conversation with Dr. Gabriel Kuby. To start off, how did you end up as one of the most controversial academics in Europe? Because that's quite a story. <laughs> um, how did I end up like at that position? Well, I think it is very simple. Uh, the answer is that the calling, I'm aware of a calling of God for this work after my conversion to Catholicism, uh, that it's simply I have to say the truth. And this is what I try to do as best as I can. And I have to do it. Uh, I can't really deviate from it. And so if you do that in our time, where the master of lies seems to be ruling this world, you get to be a controversial person. You have a, had a long road to this point, and you weren't always a, a religious person, and you didn't always hold these views. Can you just give us a, a little bit of a sense of, of, of how your life unfolded to bring you to this point? It was quite late in my life, just after I turned 50. Uh, my, my entrance into the Catholic Church was in 1997. So... Up to then, there was a long journey. I started off as a child with a religious awareness. I wanted to be baptized when I was eight years of age. I hadn't been baptized because my father was an agnostic and my mother was a believer, but not really socialized in church. 
and I was baptized when I was eight years of age. Uh, and then I went for school and more or less lost. Uh, well, I never, never in my life did I turn against God, but He kind of disappeared behind the horizon when I got involved or drawn into the 68 movement for a brief time. And I finished my sociology studies with a master's degree. And the question of my life always, until my uh, conversion was, what am I to do with my life? And this is really a question for everybody, uh, which they have in their heart. But many people make compromises when they find some kind of seemingly secure place somewhere. And I didn't make these compromises. Uh, this meant lots of crisis and always again saying no, no, no. In 1973, I had an experience of God. And from then onwards was a conscious searcher of God. And again, it was a very long time searching in esoterics, in psychology, uh, and coming to nowhere at all, except to the separation of my civil marriage with three children. And at this very, very low, the lowest point, in fact, in my life, a young woman came to my door. She was my neighbor, and she had a little novena in her hand, a nine-day prayer, and said, pray. And I had no, I was at the end of my means, I was flat on the ground, so to speak, and I took this novena and prayed it in front of a Buddha statue and other things which I had collected uh, in my 20 years of search. And it always ended, it was the big promises of Jesus Christ, so big that they are still beyond my, you know, what does he mean, you will do greater works than I've done, I have no idea, to the present day. Uh, the great promises of Jesus Christ and every prayer ended with, I am the handmaiden of God, thy will be done unto me. And at the end of this novena, I knew I would become a Catholic without any doubt to the present day. And despite this so deplorable state of our Catholic Church, and not only the Catholic Church is in a deplorable state, uh, I have never any doubt, and I'm deeply thankful that I found, I walked through the portal of the church to the Blessed Sacrament, in fact, because this was, this is the center of my faith. So, it, interestingly, when you, when you talk about your trajectory, and you mentioned this casually, but I, I'd kind of like to hear your thoughts on it. You mentioned that in 1968 you were a part of that movement briefly but you're you're a sociologist so give us a you know a short analysis of of your involvement and what was that 1968 movement all about of course historically speaking there was a lot that led up to it and a lot that happened afterwards but what was the uh what was that moment in history that seems to have been the hinge upon which our culture turned that is exactly right what you're saying, the hinge upon which our culture turned. I try to be brief with my own involvement. I had a left-wing father, a journalist and writer, and I, I came into the movement as the, as the uh, admiring daughter of my father. So I was not a rebellious bourgeois child. And since I have this mind that always sort of inquires and says, is this true? Is this right? Uh, I very quickly found out that it is not true and it is not right. And I, I was a member of the student representative organ for one semester in 1967. I was actually on the streets at this demonstration against the Shah of Persia when the student Benno Ohnesorg was shot by a policeman. And I must say this because it was really shocking to me. At the time, uh, it was said this was a Western a policeman who acted in self-defense. And it turned out he was an agent of the Stasi, which is the secret service of the communists in East Germany. It was actually all put on 
because they knew this was the match to inflame the whole movement. Already in 67, I left West Berlin and went to a, to a, to a, to a new university in the south of Germany. So, and it took me another year to actually separate from this movement completely. Uh, what was this movement about? In my book, The Global Sexual Revolution, Destruction of Freedom in the Name of Freedom, my second chapter deals with all the tributaries uh, to that movement. And I start with the French Revolution. Uh, of course, I can't mention them all here. It's a philosophy which, um, well, it put in doubt any kind of uh, truth. It put in doubt authority. It attacked all the traditions and moral values and norms which were the foundation of the Christian society. And the, a major role was played by the so-called Frankfurt School, Adorno, Horkheimer, uh, now he's still alive, Habermas, that was the next generation, these philosophers, who were all communists. The whole project, their whole project started editing the Marx and Engels volumes in, uh, in cooperation with Moscow. They had to leave Germany because they were Jews and returned, were called back, in fact, uh, already in 1946. So the poison was, there is uh, the search for truth, which is the basic, the basic, um, uh, the, the basic norm of Western science. Search for truth, cost it whatever it may. We are after the truth. Uh, that was overturned, and the Frankfurt School said we need critical theory. Science is critical theory. It is critical of the capitalist bourgeois structure of power, and science has to serve to overturn this structure. So this whole endeavor of science to be committed to truth was overturned. And, and 50 years later, we see that there are the destructionists and, uh, who say uh, there is no such thing as truth. There's only subjectivity, which is the theoretical philosophical foundation of gender theory. A, a central element was communist theory, feminism, Radical feminism, which means get out of the slavery of motherhood, that's the slogan of Simone de Beauvoir, and sexual revolution. And maybe this is the, they all go together, uh, but this, to overturn the sexual norms of society really means to attack the Christian anthropology, who is man, what is the idea of sexuality uh, that is the foundation of our of family and marriage and our society. So you're uh, something of, of a combination of academic disciplines in your book, The Global Sexual Revolution, which is, is really the book that I wanted to spend uh, most of our time talking about. Because it's it's a fascinating book. It's one of the only ones that deals with the sexual revolution, uh, as the title indicates, on a global scale. But I, I would say that the the sexual revolution is is both the world's most successful revolution that has more or less defined how the the world operates. It defines you know who gives foreign aid to who. It defines how we interact with each other. It defines the cultural fabric of our nations, and it simultaneously the revolution that people know the least about. So they, they'll, they'll, they'll think, for example, that um, the sexual revolution is, is a bloodless revolution that released, you know, happy sexual energy, when in fact, of course, the global sexual revolution has resulted in the abortion of tens of millions of babies and is by any count the bloodiest revolution in the history of the world. Could you just give our, our, our listeners a sense of, 
of the chronology of the sexual revolution. For those who are hearing this term for the first time, how would you explain it to somebody? Are you, are you sure that people don't know this term, sexual revolution? Uh, there, are, there are some who don't. Really? Uh, you're saying they know the least about it. Maybe the reason, if that is so, is that they are all immersed in it, that actually the sexual revolution has happened. And once you are drowned in sexual, let us use the controversial term, a Christian term of sin, once you are drowned in sexual sin, and we can speak what, what, what we mean with that, your vision is clouded. You do not see it anymore. And if we see this as a strategic uh, revolution from top to bottom, which you can prove, I'm proving this in my book, this is actually a top-down revolution, which is the opposite of what a revolution usually is, which is the masses, the exploited masses rise up against the power structure. Here the opposite is happening. happening. The elites of this world are putting on this uh, revolution and forcing it into every single country of this world. <clears throat> you are asking me, <clears throat> you're saying, what, how did it come about? Yeah, chronologically. It, yes, chronologically. Um, it is very interesting that, well, 68 was the beginning. <clears throat> and the whole issues of the sexual revolution of 68, of these communes who, had, who said, Let's have sex, everybody with anyone, let's have sex before, in front of children, in front of the eyes of children, with children, and let children have sex amongst themselves. So that was 68, we had all these images and photos in the papers. So as strangely enough, this was taken up by the elites of this world, the students, the academics, who were, who were at the front of this movement of 68, took the march through the institutions. They were very far-sighted from the very beginning when the Christians were sound asleep and rested on their high percentage of Christianity, which they had in Western society, uh, something like 80% or even more people were baptized. So where was the problem? And they were fast asleep. And I don't know whether you agree, since when are Christians waking up? It's not more than five years, I think, that they realize this is serious. This is attacking our own, our own uh, families. So the chronology, uh, it is very interesting that the first, uh, one of the first acts of the Willy Brandt uh, uh, government in Germany in the 70s was to legalize pornography. That was one of his very first acts uh, in, in, of lawmaking. And that means that once you have pornography spreading like wildfire to a degree now that we cannot protect our children anymore and they're all into it, uh, so you drown uh, the populations of our societies in sexuality. You, you pull them, you tempt them into sexual sin, and this, as I just said before, blinds their perception. And when then somebody, the, the media and and the whoever has power to form the mass consciousness, proclaim. It is right and good what you are doing. It is okay to have adultery. It is okay to have sex before marriage. It is okay for children to have sex from the, from the, uh, you know, even as little children in kindergarten. Then people will believe it because they are relieved from the nagging, we say in German, the biting of their own um, uh, not consciousness, but conscience. Yeah, conscience is in in every human being. And if you have it, it the whole of of the media uh, 
and the and relevant institutions saying to you, "Oh, this is okay what you are doing. This is what you want to hear." And I think this is kind of the inner uh, path how this revolution could go on and on and on without really hitting resistance. One of the things that I've, I found very interesting about your book, and, and we've had uh, more conversations on this subject, is is the idea that this sexual revolution, especially the, the later stages or the finishing touches of, of transgenderism and, and gender ideology, is is one of the first revolutions really imposed uh, by the elites on the ordinary people, and yeah. and your book really details that unfolding in Europe. There's an interesting book that came out in uh, in 2018 in North America by Dr. Daryl E. Paul, uh, and then it, it, it's actually titled "How the Elites Brought America to Same-Sex Marriage," and and he makes a similar case in an American context as to you. Now, a lot of people will, will say, well, that sounds like, you know, a conspiracy theory. People like love having sex. And so this is just something that people wanted and they cast off the restrictions that the Judeo-Christian tradition uh, ha- had laid on them and on their behavior. So how, how do you explain, how do you uh, essentially assert the thesis that this was a revolution that was largely imposed by the elite on ordinary people? Because... Yeah. In some ways, it, it, it rings true. You know, G.K. Chesterton always said that that stupid ideas always entice educated people first, and then uh, have to be persuaded. The other, the rest of the people have to be persuaded. At the same time, it seems counterintuitive. Look, where was the mass movement on this planet that demanded the necessity of putting into doubt that we are man and woman? Where is it? Where was it? Yeah, there was no movement whatsoever uh, of people crying out, we want to have the ability to change our sex. We are not sure whether we are men or women. There's gender fluidity, and we are something in between. Please, governments, please, parliaments, please, courts, give us the ability, give us the possibility to live according to our identity. This is, it is pure madness, which of the tiniest, to whom does it apply? How many transgender persons, how many intersexuals are there? A tiny, tiny minority. People forget how small these minorities are because we are bombarded all the time with these issues. It is only about 2% of the population of the inhabitants of this earth whose, at, whose attraction, sexual attraction to the other sex is somehow blocked. It, that already is a very small minority. The people who are actually have psychological problems with their own sex whether they are a man or a woman, are an even tinier group. And those who have actually biological problems called intersexuals are even smaller. So why is are we obsessed, are we being made to be obsessed with these issues all the time? Nobody can show that this comes from the bottom, from any kind of mass movement upwards. It is an invention of the elite of this world. And so how would you explain that? Because, for example, with the issue of of transgenderism, there are a lot of people uh, among the elites. Let's let's just look at a few American politicians, right? People like Hillary Clinton, uh, who, you know, 10 years ago, I doubt she'd ever heard of, of transgenderism. And now it's it's one of uh, of her big causes. And the same thing is true for so many mainstream, high-profile politicians. Uh, the same thing goes for many media figures. You see some media figures who aren't quite able to swallow this whole men can become pregnant thing. But on the other hand, many other ones who, again, I guarantee you wouldn't even have been aware of these issues 10 short years ago, are now pretending that you're some sort of slope-headed Neanderthal if you don't get on board with with every new tenant of an evolving ideology that will probably be different in a year or two. 
So how, so for a couple of questions is why did the elites impose this and who are you referring to when, when you speak of the elites? Because I see a lot of people getting on board with this that I think probably, you know, probably privately wonder to themselves what this is all about. I know for a fact, for example, that a couple of high profile politicians um, in this country, in Canada, um, who say the right things to the media think it's total garbage behind closed doors. And I, I can state that okay. for a fact. So how, how did this come about? Who are the elites and why? Why do they want this ideology, which is causing a, a 4,000% spike in kids wanting to transition in the UK, for example? Why would they want this? Who are the elites is uh, not so difficult to answer because you can show what they are doing. The elites are the United Nations. Have one one resolution after the other, one program to pull over the whole uh, of their whole 192 member states. You can prove it in the European Union. This is what I'm doing in my book. I'm showing their resolution after resolution, program after program, uh, where they are uh, where they are pushing uh, the gender ideology, which then has radicalized into transgender ideology. Uh, but in brackets, it was always LGBT. Yeah, this acronym was always used when the whole thing started. So people knew what they were after. Uh, the, the, besides the, the UN and the European Union, uh, there are the private foundations who have power over billions and billions and billions of dollars. That's the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds the Bill Gates Foundation, uh, Soros, of course, who is extremely active uh, in uh, in the Western uh, countries. Uh, we, since his emails were hacked, we can prove what he finances. Uh, his university was just thrown out by Orban in Hungary, and for reasons I don't know, uh, was accepted in Vienna, which has a conservative government, and they're doing quite good things in, in Austria. But Soros can now do his activities from Vienna and found his university there. Uh, so all the big uh, econ- uh, all the big corporations are in it: Facebook, Apple, uh, which others are there. Just help me there. There is a the Human Rights Watch organization, an LGBT organization, publishes uh, um, publishes a rating of the biggest corporations of this world, how much are they behind the LGBT agenda? And I think they have, I don't know, a few hundred, where they say a hundred percent of them, they are behind the agenda, the LGBT agenda, to a hundred percent. So, and the media, of course, uh, the media pushing and pushing and pushing in this direction. So you can prove that the big powers of this earth are behind it. And of course, the question arises, I'm asked about this just about at the end of every talk I give on these subjects, why? Right. You can see what it does, what the ideology does. This is, again, something which you can rationally show. It breaks down. If you say you can change your sex, and get this into the heads of people and get a movement going uh, and attacking the awareness of children. What do you say? 6,000% rise in children who say, oh, the girl who says I want to be a boy and the other way around. Um, you can see this happening. Why is it happening? It, the outcome is it destroys the family. It destroys the vision, the, the type the ideal type, the ideal type of marriage. It destroys the vision of where we want to go. So we can see this happening, and the statistics prove it. Family breaks down. Uh, Janet Smith, the founder of the Ruth Institute, speaks of the uh, casualties of the sexual, the victims of the sexual re- revolution, which I think is a good uh, uh, term to introduce, because there are many many, many victims. So again, the question is not answered. We know who is doing it. We know the outcome, the destructive, extremely destructive outcome, this 
destroying identity of people, destroying marriage and family. And we can again prove beyond all doubt how destructive it is, how incredible the suffering is of the masses of people to whom this is happening. Why is it happening? And here we indeed run up uh, against a big sign. Do not enter here. Otherwise, you will be thrown out of the public discourse, thrown out of society. You will be threatened. Do not enter here. And the label is um, uh, Verschwörungstheory, uh, the theory of, please help me, the, the, um, the series of, I can't think of the word at the moment. You said it before, the series we are not allowed to analyze. A gender identity and gender ideology? No, 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 no. Conspiration theory. Oh, yes. <laughs> this, is, this is the word I was searching for. The big thing, do not enter here, is conspiration theory. And I must tell you, I have not entered. I say it is happening. This is the outcome. We have to do something about it. Wherever you are, resist it. Uh, and I have myself not read into conspiration theories. But why should not a conspiration happen? Why do these powers who are doing this, are they not knowing what they're doing? Do they not know what the outcome is? Yes, they do. Did they not know why they needed the term gender at the Women's Conference in Beijing in 1995 and introduced it with all their manipulation machinery? Yes, they do. They are very, very far-sighted. Just the artistry of coining language, of using, you know, who invented, who had this brilliant idea to use the rainbow as the symbol of this movement. The rainbow, which God says, this symbol, is, when you see it, you know this is the covenant between God and my people. To use this, who had this intelligence? It is diabolical intelligence. Who used the term, of course, human rights offers itself to be used for that and to blind people and saying all this happens as human rights. It has nothing to do with human rights. Human rights are rights for every person in all conditions on this planet. And this was formulated in 1948 after the, the bloodshed of the, of the Holocaust and the Second World War. Who had the intelligence to use the term diversity for the destruction of sexual morality? Diversity is a principle of the creation. The unbelievable diversity of the creation. Sexuality, the morals of sexuality has nothing to do with diversity. It is a pretty narrow path to live sexuality as within the plan of God for the human being created as male and female. So that we see, with just by looking at it, I, I'm always surprised, why doesn't everybody see it? Uh, but I gave an answer myself <laughs> at the beginning, because once we are drowned in sin, we do not see clearly. We see the, the diabolical, intelligence that is invested in this movement. And thank God we are beginning to wake up at a late hour. It, it is late. I'm, I'm interested in, in, in what you think will happen next, because one of the things that I've, I've, I've been noticing is that, and again, this is the North American context here, is that in the, in the 80s and the 90s, and even in the early 2000s, it was sort of assumed uh, that there was a silent moral majority who didn't buy into all this stuff. And in the, the 2004 election, I remember watching this very closely, there were you know over a dozen different referendums on, on the state level in the U.S. Uh, on gay marriage in every single state, including California yeah. even. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they, they voted against gay marriage, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was sort of a 60-40 split, you know, you 10 years later, and that's that's flipped. Um, it's now a 60-40 split supporting uh, gay marriage. And one of the, the more insidious things that's taken place in about the past 10, 12 years is when 
the sexual revolution really got into full swing in North America, it was sort of this this scream of primal rage. And we are going to do what we want to do. We will live as we see fit. Um, you know, down with marriage, the institution of marriage is inherently oppressive. Get rid of all of these things. And now you see a switch. Now it's no longer the sexual libertines against uh, so-called morals. What they're saying now is that actually we are the group that supports family values. We are, you know, the, the moral majority. And you need to shut down your adoption agency because you won't place a kid in a home that doesn't have a mother. We need to shut down you know, your, your foster care, your adoption agency, your school, you know, work your way through the list. And they're doing it because they say that we are the ones who are immoral. They are saying that we are the ones who are attacking families. We are the ones who are making uh, kids suicidal. So you see an inversion of the rhetoric. They no longer claim that there's no such thing as morality. And it seems as if relativism was just a convenient philosophical vehicle to get from um, you know, there is no right and wrong to I'm right and you're wrong, and I'm going to impose my view on you. Yes. So you're describing the path into totalitarianism. It starts always out with temptation. The big term at the beginning was tolerance, and we all know there's not the slightest tolerance for Christians in this movement. And now you are saying relativism was just the starting point before it turns into totalitarianism. Uh, what is the basic uh, thing underneath is uh, it only truth can build up a society, and if a society is built on lies, as it is the basic lie of gender, you can change your sex, uh, and there's gender fluidity. This is simply a lie which everybody could could be aware of. Uh, this is a destructive ideology which cannot which cannot be kept up in a free society because it is a lie that sooner or later everybody will recognize as a lie. So you have, it has to become totalitarian, and it was just a process, and we can see now, we can see now with all these court decisions, the courts are being, uh, are, uh, attracting, uh, the power which they shouldn't have. The courts should watch of a legality, they should not change the the society, make decisions which act like the same-sex marriage was a court decision, uh, which completely change, changes the fabric of society. This is not what courts should do, but they're assuming that power. And of course, the whole movement works with something any totalitarian movement uh, works with, and that is fear. And they are, they are staging all these ridiculous, uh, lawsuits of, against, uh, uh, a bed and breakfast place, against, uh, a cake, a cakery master, what is it called? The master bakery, uh, forcing them to produce, uh, wedding cakes, we are for same-sex marriage and, and so on. Uh, ruining the existing, getting as much publicity as possible to say, be careful. Do not enter here. Otherwise, we will ruin your existence. And this now applies to every journalist. It applies to, to professors. It applies to, uh, to judges. It applies to nearly all, uh, to teachers, nearly to all professional areas of our society. Be aware. Do not go against us. Otherwise, you will be threatened and you will lose your job and you will be expelled. Uh, this is the reason why we have now have new heroes. One of them is Jordan Peterson, uh, the, the psychology professor of the uh, University of, uh, what is it? Where Toronto. Is it University? Toronto, exactly. And he refused to use transgender nouns. He said, I will not do this. The university threatened him, we will throw you out. He again said, I will not do this. And now he's the shooting star on the intellectual heaven of our world. And for good reasons. I think his, I read his book, uh, um, Rules for Life, and I think it's a good book. Even though he's not really Christian, but he's open to it, to it. So we have arrived at a stage where through all levels of our society, 
from the very top uh, visible position down to kindergartens and parents' meetings in kindergartens and down to your own family. If you say you are against uh, the promotion of homosexuality at school, you are against uh, uh, throwing children into this whole transgender business, uh, you are against same-sex marriage because this simply is not a marriage. If you say this, this even within Christian circles, you are up. You are a sign of contradiction, and have to suffer consequences. And this has now permeated our society from the very top to the very bottom. So fear, fear is a main instrument and being applied more and more, uh, which transports this revolution. It's interesting that you use the term fear, because fear, as you know, was a play that premiered in Berlin, uh, written and directed by uh, Falk Richter, and it basically centers around five zombies who are five pro-life and pro-family women, uh, including yourself, uh, uh, because of their rejection of gender ideology. And the actors in this film, you know, or sort of this play, poke up the zombies' eyes. Uh, one of the actors says that they need to be shot in the brains, and there has actually been violence as, as the result of this there's been arson attacks on two of the five uh, women one of them had her van firebombed uh, another had the fire spread to the headquarters of her family business which was then, then destroyed um you've been you've been called a nazi which in, in germany is is in north america the term is is so commonly used it's devoid of all meaning but in germany the word still actually has some meaning oh yes and so the the vitriol that's been directed at you and 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 the handful of others who have been brave enough to speak out, um, what where where does that come from? Uh, which I think I know, but I'd like to hear your take on it. And then, and secondarily, do you think it indicates uh, a desperation on the on the uh, part of the opposition because they realize that once there are people that they cannot control, and once there are people who insist on speaking the truth. Regardless of the consequence, they, they they start to lose they start to lose their grip on on the mass consciousness once that takes place. Yes, your first question I didn't quite understand. Uh, what uh, where does it come from? What do you mean? Where does the uh, the place the, the, come yeah, from? Like, what, where, what? where does the rage come from when we're talking about an ideology okay. that's you know ten or fifteen okay. years old? Yeah, when I was talking about fear, I didn't. It, it didn't even cross my mind this play. Uh, it's the whole business is over for me. We took them to court. The first level of the court said this is freedom of art. They can they can use manipulate your quotations. They can say anything they like about you. We took them to the second level, uh, and there the court said. Uh, in two cases, they are not allowed to say this anymore. They are not allowed to say. Uh, an actor is not allowed to say, I am Gabriele Kubi, and I I um, put out hate speech against Jews. This actually said it was said on the play. They are not allowed to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm quite relieved. Right. Uh, and uh, I've more or less forgotten the whole thing. It's behind me. Uh, they they uh, they are not allowed to manipulate quotations anymore. So. Uh, um, this is for me. I've sort of, um, I'm more or less forgotten about it. Uh, why are they so enraged? Why does somebody sit down and create a whole theater play? Why are the media campaigns, uh, whole books where we blacklists are put out of these dangerous people like me and others? Uh, yes, it's the same answer. This whole ideology uh, is built on lies. So you have to create a system to keep this lie alive. And any totalitarian system, if somebody says this is a lie, they go after him. We have many examples of that. We had it under the Nazis, we had it under the communists. You are not allowed to say the truth. You are not allowed to say the truth in China or in North Korea or in Venezuela or in any of these uh, suppressive countries, which we uh, dictatorships, which which we still have. Why? 
because I believe that there is a conscience in every human person built into our soul and into our mind. And this conscience can be in every individual, it can be suppressed if you are sort of putting layers and layers and layers of lies on top of it. But if somebody utters the truth, this conscience is awakened and you know what you are doing is evil. And so you go after them because it is painful for you if somebody awakens your conscience and says what I am doing is evil. So this is uh, an inner level uh, of what is happening. An outer, uh, yes, um, well, is that is that satisfying for you, that answer? Yeah. Or did you, yeah. That, that's sort of the inner dynamic yeah. of why this is so violent, why there is such a need to suppress the truth, as in every totalitarian system. Totalitarianism has a different face, at least at the beginning in our time. That's why I have the subtitle, um, Destruction of Freedom in the Name of Freedom. Tries to buy our approval by selling freedom to us, but we can see that this freedom is diminishing at a very fast uh, speed in, in front of our eyes. What do you think the impact of your book was? Um, well, it is translated in something like 14 languages. Uh, among them Chinese in Taiwan and South Korea and Ukrainian and uh, more common languages like Spanish. Now the Portuguese edition has been coming out. So uh, in several countries, the people got hold of the book and said this book has to be, uh, the elite of our country has to read it. Like in Portugal, um, a foundation uh, made the offer, uh, we will buy a thousand copies and give these thousand copies to the elite of Portugal. So the same in South Korea. I have no idea what uh, the, the impact is, and I'm not really bothered with it. I'm a completely unstrategic person. I think we need strategies. On our side, we absolutely need good strategy, and there are organizations like, for instance, Alliance Defending Freedom International uh, and uh, other organizations which need and must work strategically. But it's not my vocation. I just sit here, I put what I, can, I recognize as true on paper, put it out as best I can, uh, if I worked more organized, maybe something more influential could uh, be achieved, but I'm not that kind of person. Final question is, is you mentioned uh, that you think we're finally starting to wake up in the last five years. Yes. Um, you know, you've, you've, you said quite often that people are finally starting to recognize what the elites have been imposing on them. At the same time, Anybody listening to you know the last forty minutes of our conversation is going to think, well, it's kind of late for that. Do you have mm -hmm. any predictions about how this will unfold, and do you think there's still hope for Western civilization, just considering uh, how far the termites have spread and how long and well they've dined? Yes, um, the most dangerous uh, development is that this revolution is getting after our children. They're actually putting their hands on the children. I've just written an article uh, which has been published in, a, in the conservative paper in Germany uh, about the International Technical Guidance on Sexuality Education put out by the UNESCO and all the sub-organizations of the United Nations. International Technical Guidance on Sexuality Education. Anybody listening to this and interested in what the UN, UN 
United Nations plan for our children, get hold of it. It's unpleasant reading for 140 pages, but you will see the United Nations are actually getting at the youth, the next generation of the youth of this planet. They have the means to do that. And they are drowning them in hedonistic sexuality education, uh, even making them activists of that movement, training them to actually become activists. They try to make, they try to break up the binding, the, the bonding between parents and children by very sophisticated methods, uh, calling all this human rights, progress, uh, uh, the rights of children, the best information using all this garbage language of manipulation. So this is really, really dangerous. In Germany, we have no way of opting out. We are not allowed. Homeschooling is forbidden by law. You have this possibility in Canada and in the United States and nearly most other nations of this world. So, they are getting after the youth, and if you are not awake and even have the economic possibilities of caring for your children, giving them a truly safe space in their home, truly giving your children the experience that you, the parents, are those who actually care most and actually are the ones who love them and on whom they rely, which is difficult for parents to carry through, and it needs a lot of us. Uh, this is the only way that we can protect our children, and it is really, really difficult. You were asking, where is hope? As Christians, we always have hope. Our, our um, adversaries, the revolutionists do not reckon that there is God. They have completely forgotten that there is God. And I think and I believe that God is and that God has a role to play in the history of this world and that there we will come he will come up with surprises. It may be catastrophic, it may be difficult for us. But I firmly believe that God will bring his project with humanity to a good ending. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Dr. Gabrielle Kuby. Her book, The Global Sexual Revolution, Destruction of Freedom in the Name of Freedom, was published by Angelico Press in 2015. And again, for anybody who's interested in delving more into these issues, then you can go ahead and purchase that book, although I hope you've gotten a pretty good idea of uh, what she has to say and what sort of research she provides in this conversation. If you're interested in listening to our past conversations or subscribing to listen to our future conversations, please head over to LifeSiteNews.com to do that, as well as to read more columns, commentary, and news items that will help you see what's going on in the world at large. Again, thanks so much for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week.